welcome to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. This podcast is for grandparents on the go with their grandchildren and for parents who want to ensure loving relationships across the generations. I welcome your feedback and your input on every episode of the podcast we produce. Please send me an email, carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com. Now sit back with your favorite beverage and enjoy today's episode. I am so pleased to welcome two authors to this week's podcast. Yana Haletko and her co-author, Lynn Busby, who could not join us today, have written several books with the sole mission of helping grandparents foster positive relationships with their children and grandchildren. Caitlin Jane is a mother of four who shares with us her experiences with traveling the world with her children in tow. Our first guest is Yana Haletko. She and her co-author have written several books, including Cousins Camp, A Guide to Spending Special Time with Your Grandchildren, 100 Plus Things to Do with Your Grandchildren, A How-To Guide for Grandparents, and their most recent book, Postcards from Grandma, including more than 400 jokes for grandchildren. I have included the links to these books in the show notes. Welcome, Yana. Your first book was Cousins Camp. Please tell our listeners how that book came to be. I first started having a Cousins Camp situation where I flew to Chicago, picked up the two oldest grandchildren, flew back home, and kept them for five days, and then my husband and I flew them back. I started doing that in 2008. It was either eight or nine. That went on and I made the rule that you had to be five years old to join Cousins Camp. I felt like they had to be able to go to the bathroom themselves and and be away from home for five days and be able to travel with grandma. So the first two years, it was just the two oldest grandchildren. And then the next year, one more joined us. And then the next year, two joined us. And all of a sudden, we had quite a crowd and I had to hire people to help me and rent a van and do all sorts of things. But all this time, friends were saying to me, how did you do this? And what did you do about this? And how did you do that? You've got to write it down. Tell me these games you play. Tell me how you did this. And it started to be like too many people asking me. And so I thought, well, this is silly. How about if I just sit down and put it in book form? I I didn't even think about publishing the book at that point. I just sat down and pretended that I was having coffee with one of my friends and started telling her about Cousins Camp. And so that's what I did. And that was the first book. And my college roommate, Lynn, who, you know, has now been my co-author, she said, well, let's put this on Amazon. We we can publish this. And I said, oh, okay. I don't know how to do that. But she did. And so we did that. And then a couple of years later, I had made quite a few changes to Cousins Camp. I'd added some things. And more critically, I started having the parents have to come too, because at some point, I was going to have six grandchildren and there was no, I, I couldn't even rent a van and have help, you know, like we lived near a beach and I loved taking them to the beach, but you can't leave five children at the beach while you take one to the bathroom. So I had to hire 
camp counselors, I called them. And so there was no way we could all fit in one car. So I started having what I called family camp. And then the parents came too, and it was still very much geared around the children, but the parents then were responsible for the baths and the laundry. And, you know, I did all the meal. I mean, I did, we still did cousins camp, but the parents were there. And so that had to be sort of changed in the book. And so that that led to um, the revision of the book, which is now Cousins Camp 2.0. So we had 17 people staying at our house for a week at a time. That requires a little organization. We have a big house, but not that big. So I had to have lots of sleeping bags and blow up beds. <laughs> I had to buy more pillows and blankets and sheets, towels, beach towels. That's how the book started. And then as we kept adding things to do, I thought, well, I don't want to do Cousins Camp 3.0. That's kind of silly. So then Lynn and I did our second book, which was 100 plus things to do with your grandchildren. She and her husband have seven grandchildren. And of course, Paul and I have nine. And remember, the whole point of all this was to have our grandchildren be friends. We don't live in the same area. And it's difficult even we have six of our grandchildren live in the Chicago area, but it's difficult for even them to get together on any kind of a regular basis. So I thought it was just important to get everybody together for a really fun time, at least once a year. So that's what we did. And so Lynn and I shared our experiences of all the different things we've done with our grandchildren. And that led to the book, 100 Plus Things to Do with Your Grandchildren, which is actually our bestseller. And then we started remembering other things we had done. And I would read cute activities that I saw somewhere and I kept putting them in Pinterest and, you know, saving them up for the next cousin's camp. And that led to the book, Special Activities for Grandparents and Grandchildren. And um, that one, Lynn's daughter-in-law drew the cover for. So that was kind of exciting. She was our illustrator. So one of the things that I did when we started having 17 people at our house, you know, you have to, ha you have to feed everybody dinner um, and breakfast and lunch. And, but anyway, so dinner was just kind of monumental uh, for 17 people, six nights or seven nights. And so I came up with the idea, I called it theme nights. And so what I did was we ordered pizza and I made a big salad and I ordered some little Italian hats on, um, I can't remember now if I got them on Amazon or Oriental Trading or got them at the local dollar store, I don't remember. So we had little chef hats and I got some bandanas and I found a red check tablecloth and I called that Italian night. And the kids did all the decorating. I just got the stuff and I would kind of dump it out in the middle of the room and they just thought that was so exciting that they got to decorate. Now I have a friend who is a decorator and she does theme nights when her family comes, but I mean, hers definitely put mine to shame. She does all the decorating and it's all very phenomenal. But anyway, my kids loved their theme nights. And so we would have three or four theme nights in the week. And I can remember the first year that we did it, we had a really nice dinner one night that I had made in advance and frozen. I mean, in a really spectacular cannelloni that you know takes me two days to make that sort of thing. I mean, really a nice dinner. 
And we all sat down to dinner and one of the grandchildren looked up and she said, but grandma, what's the theme? So I knew that I had something there. So we had things like, um, you know, we had, we ordered from a Chinese restaurant and I had, I got some Chinese flags and um, a dragon that I put over the dining room table. Oh gosh, what other theme nights did we have? We had a French night and I found little tiny, um, little tiny candy containers. I think that was at Oriental Trading and you could have them engraved. And so I had them engraved with Cousins Camp and the year and put and, and put the um, Eiffel Tower on the front. So, you know, that was really fun. Um, one of the best nights was a grease night and we had bottles of wine, obviously emptied that I had saved and had friends give to me because I didn't have that many. And I put little lighted, those little mini lights in them and we ate by candlelight. That was very exciting. The kids loved that. Oh, we've had Hawaiian night where I order barbecue and uh, we have, the kids wore little hula skirts. We've had Irish night where we did a baked potato bar where they could put anything they wanted on their baked potatoes. This all gets a little more complicated because one of my children is a vegetarian and so her family does not eat meat. So I've had to kind of pay attention to that. Anyway, so the 22 theme nights for grandparents and grandchildren grew out of that. Then comes along COVID. And so I was realizing that we were not spending holidays with our grandchildren. And even though we live very far from our grandchildren, we have managed to get together on holidays most often, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas. And this last year, we couldn't do that. And I realized there are lots of grandparents that were not able to do that. Plus, there are lots of grandparents that can't see their grandchildren on holidays anyway. Some of them have to share with other, you know, with the other side of the family. Some of them just live too far or so for whatever reason. And so we came up with holidays with grandchildren in person or from a distance. And that book has all kinds of ideas for how to celebrate the holidays with your grandchildren, or if you're not going to be able to be with them, how to celebrate from a distance. So that was fun. And then the last book, the newest book is called Postcards from Grandma. And I realized that all these years, I've always sent postcards to my grandchildren when we travel. And then when we would come home, I would always have, you know, a few extra postcards available, or I would see some at the hardware store from our area or something with cute seashells on them. And I would send those to the grandchildren. But I, it was a little hard to do because I couldn't, I didn't really have nine different things to say for each family. Each family has three children. So I didn't do it as often as I would like. But then again, with COVID, I started sending postcards more regularly because I needed to somehow be in their lives or have them think about me. And so I started, I noticed that I could buy postcards that were relevant to different holidays. So I started out getting some for Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then on the back, on the writing side, I found little jokes. And so it would just be, you know, so like, I would put joke of the day. And so on the cover of the book, for example, one of the samples is what do you call grandma on speed dial? And the answer is Instagram. So I love Instagram. And then I, we just sort of collected 
jokes for different holidays. And we wanted to get it to print, but of course now I've found lots more jokes that I would have put in, but you know, it takes a lot of time and having them all written down in the book is really easy because then you can check off the ones that you've used. Because I realized when I sent my first Halloween ones and I wanted to send the next one, I was like, oh God, did I already use that joke? I can't remember because just, you know, saving it in Pinterest didn't really, I I didn't, hadn't marked it in any way. And then I learned a few things like using a Sharpie pen instead of a regular pen. Because at first I noticed that some of my jokes were smearing. Well, we don't want that. And then I sort of decided I could put the answers upside down so they wouldn't see them immediately. And the last group that I'm sending out in the next day or two put on there for the answer, FaceTime or call and my phone number, but I'm not using a postcard for that. I'm using an actual card. I don't want to put my phone number on something that can be read, you know, on a postcard. If you just had a postcard, you could say, you know, for the answer, call your grandmother. You know, I have gotten several FaceTime calls and little comments, and literally I can almost hear the groans. I mean, my oldest two grandchildren are 18 years old and they get these ridiculous jokes, but they can't help but laugh. I mean, they're funny. That's the last book. And I think that's it for us. I think we're done with books, but I think each one of the books has a particular focus and, you know, I hope people like them. And I, obviously the point is to have a bond with your grandchildren and make sure that they know you love them. Hopefully we've done that through all the things that we've done that Lynn and I have done through the years. The books that you've written are fabulous. From a grandparent's perspective, it's really given me ideas over and above the ideas I already have. And I'm fascinated with it. I did not realize that you had the postcard book. And what's funny about that is I have a book of jokes and it's something about dad jokes. I mean, they're they're talking about grown city. (laughs) I mean, they're like, oh no. But when I talk to the kids on FaceTime or we talk, I always tell them a joke and I get it from this book. (laughs) So that's been fun. postcard book just came out. It's brand new. So it's only been available, I think, for less than a month. It's been exciting to continue to deepen that bond. And you are very sweet to say that you like my books. And I think I say in the introductions of almost all of them that, you know, when you look at these books, some of the ideas you're going to say, oh, yeah, we do that. Or, oh, I remember that. Hopefully it will make you remember some things that you might not have remembered. And it'll make you think about other ideas. I mean, there's so many ways to relate to grandchildren, obviously. And, you know, we, we tried to just sort of just give people a, a basis for where do they start. And that's the key because, granted, there's some things in your books that I already had heard about, you know, who knows where they of came course. from. But you have so many ideas and more than that, you have, you give grandparents the courage or the impetus to just do it. It's like a roadmap to being a grandparent, the activities. <laughs> and the research that I've done is, you. is that grandparents want to do things, but they also don't know where to start. And you've given that start right. and not only the start, but 
you know, running for years to go. I mean, there are years of activities here you can do with your grandkids. Yeah, it's like a cookbook. I mean, obviously you're not going to do all of them and you might look at some of them and say, oh, that doesn't look good or that doesn't sound like fun. I think it's also important to mention that we've tried to give suggestions. You know, a lot of the things, if you did everything, it would be expensive. You know, like the theme nights, we added all kinds of ideas that I never did with games and, you know, could be a whole theme day type thing. And you could spend a lot of money on these different sites for supplies and games, but you don't have to. You know, you can choose maybe one thing that you're going to blow out on and and then go easy on the others. And kids are happy with, you know, melting their old crayons. I mean, that's a book. That's an idea in holidays with grandchildren, making candles out of old crayons you know, that doesn't cost anything, all your old broken crayons. <laughs> all you have to do is buy the little candle wicks. And I think I got a hundred on Amazon for $8 or something. The ideas can go from the very inexpensive or to more expensive, of course. I like your analogy of a cookbook because people who really like to cook and bake rarely follow a recipe. They always add their personal touches to it. And that's what your books allow. They give you the basic recipe, but you personalize it to your family and to what your interests are. It's just ideas to get you started having fun with your grandkids. And that's what's important. That was our intent. And I'm, I'm so happy that you got that and that, um, that you're willing to share that. Because, uh, yeah, it's just... It's not like we know everything to do. It's not like we know how to do it best. It was just, okay, this is what we've done. And here's some suggestions and what we've learned. You know, Lynn made cookies with her grandchildren. And after a couple of years, she learned quite a few little tricks on how to make the process go easier. So we've included that. And, and we haven't done absolutely everything in the books. I know you're traveling with your grandchildren and we've done a little travel with ours but not not like oh and your sister I'm so impressed that she takes her grandchildren on real trips (laughs) yeah that's very impressive but anyway I think that it'll get you know it gives people lots of options and and there are different ways so the first few books are divided into indoor activities and outdoor activities and even by the room I think that's really helpful I have a friend who doesn't think she's very creative. I mean, she is creative in her own way, but she has used a lot of the arts and crafts ideas that we've provided. She said, oh, I never would have thought of those. So, you know, I I think you could approach the books in lots of ways and, and use them, you know, to your own benefit. But the benefit is to the relationship between the grandchild and the grandparents. One of the things that I like about holidays with grandchildren is that almost every single day is a holiday. And if you're looking for an activity. Can you believe that? (laughs) Yeah. Just, you know, look in the back of the book at the, the date and you can find something to celebrate. And when I first read this book and I saw the holiday about Casimir Pulaski Day, there is a town in Virginia called Pulaski. And the reason that stood out to me is that when I was in high school, I was a camp counselor for a muscular dystrophy camp. And the first camper I was in charge of was a little boy from Pulaski, Virginia. And that name always, it just, the name always fascinated me. So 
when I saw this holiday, I thought, I wonder if there's any connection with Pulaski, Virginia and this gentleman. So I looked up the history of Pulaski, Virginia, and indeed they named it after this gentleman. So I thought, wow, wow that is just so cool. All of these, I mean, literally 50 some years, I that name has fascinated me. And now I know why, you know, where it came from. Uh, well, I just love that that's a holiday. It's it's actually celebrated in Chicago pretty um, <laughs> pretty pretty well. And I thought, well, should I include it because it's really kind of a um, very local type holiday? But I thought, sure, that's a great holiday. So that one actually has ideas and everything. Some of the others in the back don't. But you know, wearing a smile day, take your pants for a walk day, milk chocolate day, lasagna day. Ice cream sandwich day. What kid wouldn't like that? So I didn't know that there were all these holidays either. They cracked me up. I'm looking right now at your Valentine's Day. I mean, you must have 25 different things that you can do to celebrate Valentine's Day. And it's it is just really, yeah. they're fun. They're fun things. Yeah, how to make edible finger paint from, and let me see what holiday is that? Oh, the Hindu festival, Holly in March. I love that holiday. Tell me about it. Well, I didn't really know anything about it until a few years ago. And it's just such a happy day where you wear clothes and you get paint all over them. It celebrates spring and and it, it celebrates good over evil, which I think is lovely. It's usually the second week of March, I think. And it's really one of the it's one of the most popular Hindu festivals, but it's relatively new in the United States. We were in Chicago, um, gosh, a year and a half ago or two years ago, and noticed that Navy Pier was starting to have a huge celebration. And my husband had knee surgery, and one of his therapists was of Hindu descent, and he was talking about Holly. And so I really didn't know that much about it, and then you know looked it up. But I thought it was just so much fun. I mean, and, and I love that it celebrates good, which I think we all need now. I'm looking at that page now, and it talks about the different places where you can attend a festival in person. So we have Chicago, Utah, Maryland, Seattle, Washington, West Virginia, Texas, New York City, Holbrook, Massachusetts, New Brunswick, New Jersey, and Hanford, California. So from coast to coast, you can attend a Hindu festival. And my guess is, my guess is that will be expanding and people should kind of look, you know, close to them. But I did want to include all those places to kind of show that it's not just Chicago or just New York, um, you know, that, it, that it's other places. And you can, of course, have your own little celebration. You can send the kids cookies. Anyway, I, I thought it was a fun holiday and I love the, I love the paint. <laughs> The paint um, and the drum. Can you the kids? Yeah, the drum. Yeah. I, I would yeah. send the kids wearing old clothes <laughs> and painting oh, all over. Absolutely. I wanted to just go back to the Valentine thing for a second. One of the things in the book that I think is important is that we try to remember to add notes or hints to different things. So we've got like make Valentine popcorn. But it's important to know that young children shouldn't eat popcorn because it's a choking hazard. So 
we wrote in their note, young children should not eat popcorn because it's a choking hazard. This treat would be appropriate for children over five years old. We've tried to do that throughout whenever there's any kind of a little warning that, that you might not think of. First year, I didn't really think to tell the grandchildren to bring, bring long pants because it gets cold sometimes at night here, even in South Carolina. A couple of the grandchildren showed up with, without a sweater, without a sweatshirt. Well, after that, I sent them a packing list. So that was a hint that we could put in the book then. The hints and the notes can be very important in here also. Any words of wisdom that you want to share in closing? I think that grandparent-grandchild relationships are so important. And they're important for the grandparents too, not just the grandchildren, by the way. And I think anything you can do to foster the bonds between all your grandchildren, between you and your grandchildren... I think all of those are meaningful and, and they certainly are what makes life meaningful at my age, you know, and even as people get older, I just think those bonds are so important. And I'll never forget hearing that grandchildren are so special, you know, that, that first you practice on your children and then you get grandchildren so you can do it right. I think that's really true. That and the fact that, you know, you don't have all the worries of making sure they're good people. Although you want to be part of that, it is not your responsibility to make sure that they do their homework. Or, I mean, unless you're absolutely actually caring for them, as many grandparents do. But, you know, if you have them for three days in the summer, you have the freedom to do different things without worry. So yes, it's important to provide good food. And I certainly worried about that during all of my cousin's camps. But one morning they had hot dogs for breakfast. And yes, we put strawberries in with them. But, you know, the kids thought that was a riot. Every other meal they had when they were here was certainly healthy and nutritious with salads and vegetables and all that. But it's, it's not like it's my whole job to make sure they eat well. I don't give them candy. And I, you know, I think in one of the books I talk about sleep dust, for example, when my grandchildren come to visit in order to help them get to bed and I, I do something called sleep dust. And after they've brushed their teeth and washed their faces and gone to the bathroom and they're in bed, I will come in and read them a book. And then I do something called sleep dust and I have a little fairy wand and I rub it over their face and, you know, say something really ridiculous, like, you know, I'm so glad you're here and I hope you have a good time and I love you so much. And then I give them a tiny little present. Never have I given them candy like that. So yes, I think you do have to worry about the overall development of them, but it's not your major job. And so you should enjoy being a grandparent. You should have fun with the grandchildren and know that it's like no other relationship they'll ever have in their lives. And they will always remember this. I hope that my grandchildren will always talk about the fun that they had with us. You know, regardless of, of any money that a grandparent might leave to a grandchild, I think the biggest legacy is that legacy of love. Absolutely. It's love and time. And of course, that love comes through with the time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's caring, love. They know that we love them no matter what, you know, and, and we are there for them. And like I said, some grandparents have a much bigger role. Many grandparents these days are raising their grandchildren. That That is something that I have not experienced. For most grandparents, I think like you and me, I think that our roles are important. I think we set 
should set good examples. Like you said, you know, have, let them see that you're learning new things. Let them see that you reinvent yourself, that you love to read, that, you, you know, you like to go to museums, that, you know, you like to spend time with them. I think all of that is really important. And the critical thing is, is the relationship that you want to foster. Well, Yana, thank you so much. How do we get a hold of you? How do we find your books? Okay, well, they're available on Amazon.com, um, and you could either just look up my name, or um, there are several search words, but I think probably the easiest is to look up my name. If someone is having any trouble, I would be happy to respond to them. They can email me. My email address is jphletko at aol.com. Our next guest is Caitlin Jane, the author of Passports and Pacifiers, Traveling the World One Tantrum at a Time. Caitlin is a world traveler. She and her husband have visited almost every state in the United States, and they have visited 25 countries, several of which with their children in tow. I love family travel. I think it is the best education we can give our kids, the experience of learning about other cultures, tasting other foods, I think is vital to their growing up to being accepting of others. So I read in your book that you've always had this desire and yearning for travel, and it led to your picking your husband. And so it was just a natural progression to travel with your children. So just tell me about some of your adventures, how the book came about, and what are some, what are some standout moments that you think our listeners really need to hear? Thank you for having me, Carolyn. I am very happy to be here and to share my experiences. Um, I know that your target audience is more of the, the grandparents. And so it's interesting that the trip or the idea for the book came about on a trip without my parents. That was the trip to Scandinavia. And it was um, a little bit challenging because it was my husband and I and our four children. And I realized that you know, having my parents along was very, very helpful because they help watch the kids. You know, it's just another set of hands. And the idea for the book came about in Scandinavia on the trip. And I, I realized as, as crazy as it was, you know, it was the time of our life. And I wanted to share our experience with others so that they would be inspired to travel with their children. What are some tips for traveling with children? I have learned a lot of lessons while traveling with your children. I think that <laughs> it's important to have flexibility and um, just to be open-minded when you're traveling with your children. Um, they are, they're little sponges and they look at us to see reactions. And so I love travel. And so when they see me enjoying something, they enjoy it as well. And so I think that is number one is, you know, do something that you're passionate about because your children are going to mirror you. Now, I know you're probably looking for more tangible things. Um, so a couple things that are important to us 
is that I find that when my children have three important things, you know, they tend to behave. And so that is, I make sure that they get enough sleep. I make sure that they get enough food and the right amount of food, you know, appropriate food and that they, um, they're able to burn their energy. And so when we travel, those are three things that we try to incorporate. I am a huge proponent of napping and a regular scheduled bedtime. And so I really try to schedule our trips around that. When the kids were smaller, we would have a nap time. That would be either, um, you know, we'd schedule a morning activity, go back to the hotel, do an afternoon activity, or we would, we would schedule the car time in the middle of the day so that the, the smaller kids would nap. And, you know, that was just really important to us is to schedule around the naps. Additionally, I would make sure that we, we, we have, you know, the, the want to do's and the must do's. So if you're visiting a place that's famous for something, of course, that's the one thing you want to make sure you do. But in addition to that, I may have two or three things that are on the, the potential list. So for instance, that might be things like a playground or going to the beach or, you know, a certain museum in case it rains. So just really trying to have a lot of options, you know, depending on how the mood of the day is. I read about your attention to details, like you look up ahead of time, you know, using TripAdvisor or travel guides so that when you go someplace, you know exactly what you want your itinerary to be, or at least you have, like you just said, a lot of options available to adjust to children's crankiness or the weather or however you have to juggle your trip, that you're prepared for that. It's not a matter of, oh, what are we going to do next? You have an idea. I do. I, I like. I am a planner, so I like to have a lot of options. I like to know what, what my options are. My husband is much more spontaneous, so he'll go along with the flow. But if I have those options planned out, at least I can say, you know, here are the five things we can do in Florence, you know, and we can make a decision then. It doesn't have to be mapped out, but at least knowing what all of the options are really helps us out. I liked how you opened the book with your daughter throwing a temper tantrum in the airport. I like, I've been there. So yeah. I, I could just picture that her kicking her legs and hitting you with her shoes and her shoes lighting up. How have you changed as a mother and a traveler from Brooklyn child one to the baby child four? I think we've become a lot more laid back. I think it's nor it, it's how it is raising children. You know, your first child, everything is structured. You read all the books, you follow all the instructions. I have an older sister who's in the book and, you know, I followed every advice that she had for Brooklyn. And I realized that a lot of it didn't work for me. We're very, very different people. And so our parenting style is going to be very different. So by the time I got to Siena, it was just you know, what are the things that worked for me? And we, we get it more down to a system, but I think that's how it is with, you know, having children in the first place. So with travel, Sienna is the one that has to tag along. And so I always, always carry something on my back so that if she needs to be picked up, I'm not giving her a haphazard piggyback ride. She's in a carrier. You know, I've learned to bring snacks. I've learned, oh my gosh, there's just so many things that you learn just, just by being a parent and, and having multiple children. And I like what you said earlier, and also you write in the book that sleep, food, and exercise are absolutely imperative for every trip. 
that those three components have to be built in to be successful and for your children to have a good time. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because you know, hearing you say that, I am all about sleep. I, I that is number one for me. Food. My husband is all about food, and and both of us we like to exercise, we like to run, we like to hike, and so it, it's pretty easy for us to incorporate those three things just by the two of us as as the parents. Every place that we visited, there's going to be some fun playground for the kids. And when we traveled to Scandinavia, it was just amazing to see the different things that kids can play on there. And they loved, they loved uh, trying out new slides or swings or, you know, climbing walls. It's just interesting to see in different cultures what everyone um, includes in their playground. So that was a lot of fun. And, you know, if we hadn't been traveling with the kids, that's something we never would have experienced. So it's really fun to see their reactions and then also get to experience something new through their eyes. I admire your courage because when you talk about going to Costa Rica and walking through the jungles and not sitting on a log because there's a small brown venomous snake (laughs) and then there's this pile of termites i'm thinking uh no i've been to costa rica and i deliberately didn't go because (laughs) i i don't want to encounter snakes so i like i like being by the water i just admire your adventurous attitude ah thank you so much I'm excited to take the children to Costa Rica when they're a little older and can experience it a little, little more. Um, but yeah, my husband is, is similar. I, I had to bring out the adventure in him, um, the snakes. He's not interested in the, all the different creatures, but he's adventurous. He's willing to try it with me. And, you know, that's just something we're trying to pass on to our children. One of the things that I liked about your book was how you would weave stories so that you're, you're talking about your adventures, but then you weave a bit of history or you weave that in there about, you know, the snake on the log and the termites. And it's just, it flows. I mean, your, your writing is so descriptive. I can picture everything that you're saying and it reads like poetry, even though it's not poetry. Tell the listeners about some of the adventures because what I hope is that they want to read this and experience it for themselves. So tease them with some of the places that you've been and what you saw, like describing the birds and about the, the one bird with the long feathers, tail feathers that, you know, your friends didn't see, but you all got to see and just how different countries are. Yeah. So you mentioned um, the, the bird that we saw in Costa Rica and um, the, the Kitzel it's called. And it's supposedly the most beautiful bird in the world or one of the most beautiful birds in the world, but it's very rare. And so my husband and I went to Monteverde, um, which is the cloud forest in Costa Rica. And it was one of those places you have to see, but when we got there, we really didn't see anything, but we were looking for this bird and we saw a, a group of people. So we went over and they let us look through the binoculars and it was really an outstanding bird. It was so colorful. It had this long tail and the tail of the bird is actually so heavy that it can't fly very well because the male to compete with the females, they, they grow the tail as long as they can. And then, you know, it becomes a hindrance as they try to fly, but it's just absolutely outstandingly beautiful. 
and I know I'm not doing it justice to how I wrote about it right now, but it, it was just outstanding to see. And my friend is married to a zoologist and she, she said on her honeymoon, she went there and she had to stay there for hours looking for this bird. So we were very, very blessed to be able to see it. Some other adventures, my mother, when we went to Belize, my husband and I, we alternate with my parents sometimes so that we can do some of the more grown up things without children. So we had gone to this cave in Belize and it was really outstanding, but my parents were on childcare duty. And so my mom said that it was the first time she'd ever seen Ella, my second, who was I think a year and a half at the time, experience rain or like a big rainstorm. So they were in this, we had rented a little hut and you know the rain was just pouring down on this thatched roof hut and my daughter was dancing in the rain. It was like, it was a warm tropical rain and she was just dancing in it. And she just had this glee bubbling up from inside her. And my mother said that she'd never seen such happiness before. And it's just amazing to have these experiences. You know, I write so that I can, I can share it. I can, I can document it and also share that experience with others. And you give lessons learned throughout the book. And I was especially impressed with that. And then, and, and I think we haven't told listeners, you're traveling with four children and we're talking infants and little kids. And so usually when you think of traveling, it's with older children and not necessarily young children. I mean, you breastfed the babies, so you didn't have to worry about taking bottles and, and mm-hmm. formula, but there's diapers and there's strollers and there's car seats. And you talk about how, and I guess this goes back to your meticulous planning, how you had to analyze, were you going to need a car and did you need to bring your car seats with you? So talk about the planning and the thought process behind what things you bring with you. So let me just clarify. I didn't start with four. I mean, it's just like anything. You start with one and you build on it. So I I can understand traveling with four would be overwhelming, but we did take my, my daughter to Italy. And so I learned a lot of things traveling there. We did not bring a stroller to Italy. We had one child. So I brought a wrap with me. And we figured that she would either, she would be in the wrap the whole time and she loved it. So it was really, really easy. We did not bring a car seat on that trip because we did not rent a car. And so then the second time we traveled, we went to Belize. And when we went to Belize, again, we did not bring car seats. We did not bring a stroller. We just wanted to carry our children if we needed to on hikes and and whatnot. And we rented a car seat when we rented a car to go to Guatemala for the day. But then, you know, as we, as we progressed, when we were renting cars, I looked at the price of the car seats and they can get quite pricey, you know, like 10 or 15 to $20 a day per car seat. And remember I have four children. So I looked into what options we had for bringing our car seats. And it's really easy to bring an infant car seat because it can latch into the stroller. I put that in the book, you know, if you're bringing the stroller, bring the car seat when you have an infant, because it all goes together. It's that whole little system. So we looked into what the best car seats are to bring, looked into whether we were renting a car or not. And I looked into purchasing some car seats. 
I found that there were actually some really cheap car seats that were available. They weren't quite the bells and whistles of some of the other car seats that we might have in our car at home, but they're the type of car seats that are safe enough. And they are pretty much the ones that you would rent anyways. So we purchased a couple of those. And those are also the ones that we use in our babysitter's car and the grandparents' car, you know, the, those type of car seats that are, that are a little bit cheaper. We found that if you're actually renting a car for a significant period of time, it, it works out financially much, much cheaper. And when you're on your trips, we're talking like a, at least a week or two that you're gone and you don't stay in one location. You travel around within the country. Usually we do. It, it really depends. I, I don't like to travel to a new place every night, but if we're gone for, I think the ideal period of time is about 10 days um, so that you're taking, you know, five or six days off of work and then incorporating the weekends. When we went to Scandinavia, it was a little bit longer, generally around a week because we were working parents. And so usually it's like three or four nights in one place. And then depending on how long the trip is, you know what it is. Now, when we went to Scandinavia, there were a couple one nights just because we rented the car and we had to get from place, you know, X over to place Y. And so we had to stop along the way. But in general, I like to be at a place for about three or four days so that we can get a sense of the place, you know, and we're not bringing a lot of stuff. But, and I found that to be the most helpful, but we are not the type of family that's going to go to a resort for a week, just pack our, you know, leave our stuff there. But, you know, certainly there are families that do that. And as long as you get out and try new things, you know, see the country, I think either way can work for a family. And also you talk about slowing down. So by staying at the same place for a couple of days, it allows the children to kind of rest and get settled in and they don't feel rushed and anxious with the travel. I think having that sort of sense of being helps them. So that's why I try to plan, you know, maybe the three days here maybe a one day for the transportation and then three more days in a different place so that they can kind of have that sense, you know, when we go to breakfast the second day, they know which table they want to sit at. When we say, nope, we're not getting ice cream at this place the next day, they know they can ask for it <laughs> because they've seen it. So, <laughs> um, you know, they like to have that, that sense and going to the same playground twice, you know, we're not going to go see the same monuments or whatever a second time, but they like to have a sense of, you know, where we are. And we've definitely found that to be helpful. You know, one of the things about children being young is that they often don't remember things. And so when, when I've traveled with my family and my young grandkids, one of the things that I do is try to help reinforce the activities and the experiences by talking with them and asking them to draw pictures or, you know, telling me about what they liked and they didn't like and reinforcing those memories even six months later. How have your children retained some of the information? What have you done to help them remember those trips? It's a great question. And I think that the ideas that you have are, are great ideas. Um, I remember the first time we took my kids to the zoo, we did that. We walked through the the story every night for, it feels like a month, um, you know, like which animals did we see? What did that animal eat? What did it look like? Um, I love your idea about drawing a picture of it. We take a lot of pictures on our trips. 
my mother actually creates albums for her grandkids so that the kids can see what we did on the trips. They can see grandma and grandpa there. They can see themselves there. And it's been really great having those albums. I love to take pictures and put them on the wall. Um, we take some short videos. In the book, I talk about um, this time that I decided to feed the pigeons at an amusement park we went to, which was not a good idea, but we actually have a video of it. <laughs> so the kids love seeing the video of mommy feeding the pigeons. It's just a lot of things like that. The pictures, the stories, the videos, you know, putting things up around the house, reminding them of it. Those are all things that we can do. And yes, of course, they're not going to remember it always, but just knowing that they went there and, you know, my husband and I and the older kids having those wonderful memories, that's meaningful as well. It, it doesn't matter if the two-year-old remembers it, but just having that feeling of, hey, I remember that my family travels and we're together. Mommy and daddy are giving me all this time and attention. You know, that's, that's the thing that I want them to take away from and, and have that warm feeling in their heart. Now, how old is Brooklyn now? She is almost 10. So does she talk to you about the trips? Do you involve her now in planning trips? Yes. So with COVID, we weren't able to go anywhere last year. And so this summer, she's in fourth grade. So we have a free national park pass. So we are hoping to go do some national parks. And so she is absolutely helping me with the planning which, well, actually all of my kids are helping with the planning. You know, which animals do you want to see on the park? Do you want to hike? Do you want to swim? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. They help. And, you know, all along they've been doing the packing themselves. I give them a list and say, okay, you need to have this many pairs of pants, this many shirts. So they absolutely help with the packing all along. And even on the trips, we ask them what they want to do. A lot of the time it will be, oh, I want to go to the pool. But we ask them where they want to go. What do they want to do? What do they want to eat? And, you know, it's just like parenting at home, but just in including them, having them feel that sense of ownership, it really helps with their enjoyment. In the book, you talk about food, and that's one of your husband's passions. But <laughs> you, you said about someone asking you how they reacted to eating new foods. And you said, well, they've been introduced from that since they were little. So as they've grown older, do they still have that sense of adventure of wanting to taste and try new foods? I wish I could say yes, but you know, they're just like every other kid. Somehow they find mac and cheese and cheese and all of a sudden life is over and that's all they want to eat. You know, it really depends on the kid. Some of my kids are more adventurous than others. One of my kids will eat anything I give her. Another kid will eat just bread and butter. You know, it, it, it really just depends on the kid. And it's challenging. And it's something that I continue to do as a parent and try to push. But they're not as adventurous as I, I wish they would be. But I wasn't as a kid either. So it's not something that I, I, I find that that's just a challenge in parenting in general. One thing that I do like when we travel is that, especially when we go with my parents, is that we have four different adult dishes and we try to get the kids to try them at least to spark their interest and, you know, try to get them to try new things. It's nice that each of you order something different and then the kids have the opportunity to at least taste it, even if they ordered macaroni and cheese. What would you say is the biggest takeaway from your book? I would say there's a couple of, a couple of things. And 
The first is really just to try new things and to experience new cultures and just be open to new adventures. We love exploring. We love trying new things. And I'm really trying to incorporate that into my kids' lives. The, the second as a parent or as a grandparent is to see things from their perspective. It is so amazing. And, I, and I'm sure you know this, but it is so amazing to see their awe at something new and just to be a part of that experience. And so it's fun to even to go to some places that I've been before, but just to see my kids reaction to seeing that. And this summer, if we, if we end up going out West, watching them see a grizzly bear for the first time in the wild or whatever it is, you know, it's just so amazing to have those experiences with your kids. And, and I think the other thing to take away is that even if they're small, they're still getting memories of the experience together. And the fact that mom and dad took the time off of work, you know, we're doing this together and it's going to be just a fun adventure for all of us. They might not remember that we did this for breakfast or, you know, we saw this specific thing, but they will remember the time together and the devoted attention that we gave them. Absolutely. I think that's so important with whether you're traveling or that you're at home. It's just the, the feeling that you get from being together. They grow up knowing they're loved and they're cared for. Absolutely. And, and I love that you say the loved because I have this friend who shared with me that, you know, she always felt that she was her parents' favorite kid. And I'm trying to raise all four of my kids to feel like they're the most important person in the world to me. And yes, of course, they've got their siblings, but, you know, <laughs> they all feel that they're my favorite, which to me, it, I love that they all think that they're the most important person in the world to me because they are. You talk about when your parents are on the trip with you, you and your husband get time away. Do you have the opportunity? And I know you talked about being in Arcadia National Park and you and the baby and the dog went hiking. Do you have time or do you take time to enjoy or experience the country with just one child at a time or two children at a time so that you have that individual time with them while you're away? Absolutely. I, I think that it, that's, that's a very vital important, you know, a vital part of the trip for us is to give the kids that one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one time. Nap time is one time that we do that. So usually my husband or I will stay back with the sleeping kid or two, and then the other person will take the kids out. So for my husband, he usually takes the kids to the pool, the, you know, the older kids to the pool. And I usually will go for a walk with the kids or go get ice cream or whatever. It's very important for us. And it's really a form of um, discipline for us as well. Like if one kid's having a meltdown, you know, they might be getting that one-on-one -on -one attention and go, go for a little walk or, or go for a talk or whatever it is. And the other person will take the other three kids. I mean, I'm blessed with four children. So there's a lot of different variations that we can do in splitting the kids up. But yeah, six people gets to be, a, or with my parents, eight people gets to be a bit much sometimes. So we do split off into smaller groups when we can. And when my parents come along, that allows my husband and I to get a little break from the kids. We can go out for dinner or we can do an adult only 
thing like the cave exploration, but absolutely we try to break into smaller groups when we can and, and, and see the things that each of us wants to see individually. My fervent prayer is that COVID is over pretty soon or that enough people are vaccinated that we can travel more and not feel so restricted. You talk about the national parks, which I think is a fabulous uh, travel idea, especially with children. But what's your big next big international trip? I have two that I would like to do. One is to go to Australia. I studied abroad in Australia and I still have friends there. So I'm hoping to go there for an extended period of time. They will not let Americans in right now, but um, as soon as we're able to go there, I would absolutely love to go to Australia. I studied in Queensland. I visited Sydney. Uh, my, my dad played professional basketball in Melbourne. So I have a very strong connection to that country. The other is that I would like to go to Eastern Europe with the kids. My grandmother is from the Czech Republic. And so I'd like to go there and see where she, where her family is from. I think that both of those, they're both, you know, kind of like my dream trips in the next two or three years. And, you know, once the kids are older, there's so many places I want to go, you know, to Southeast Asia and Africa, South America. There's just so many amazing places that we can go. Uh, a couple of episodes ago, I interviewed the founder of the Family Travel Association, and I had asked him of all the places in the world that you've been, what is your favorite? And his response was Africa, that it to him was the place to go. So that's on my bucket list, as well as Australia. Australia is amazing. And I cannot wait to take my children to Africa. But Africa is expensive. And so that's one of those places that I want to go when my kids are a little bit older. So they remember it. <laughs> like, like you said, I don't mind taking my kids to places that I can find really cheap discount airfare and go a little bit off season. But Africa, I, I want to make sure that I do it to the best of our ability. One of the other things that this gentleman talked about was when you're planning a vacation is to start with the activities that you want to do. So when you talked about you know, your children helping you plan for the parks, it's like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to hike? Do you want to go and you know, see the water? And that's exactly what he recommended is figure out the activities that you want to do and then plug in the locations that have those activities. And the parks in the, across the national parks have just a plethora of ideas and adventures to enjoy. And I read in the paper, we now have a new park in West Virginia, a, a new national park, just like within the last couple of weeks, it's been designated. I live near West Virginia and I've actually gone whitewater rafting there with my sister. My husband went there when he was in college, I believe. And it's really a fun park. I mean, before it was a national park, it was fantastic. So being a national park, I'm sure it'll be even better. One question I forgot to ask you is what has been your overall favorite trip? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I would say my absolute favorite destination was Costa Rica, which was amazing. There's just so much great stuff there. My favorite trip was probably Scandinavia because I had all four children with me and my husband, and it was just amazing to see that with them. Every trip seems to be better because the kids are a little bit older, a little bit easier, and I've learned a little bit from what I did before. So destination-wise, Costa Rica, but trip, probably Scandinavia. 
before. I'm really just trying to inspire people to get out and see the world with their, their kids. It's not as hard as it seems. You know, I write about it and I, I know that I write about some of the, the tricks and challenges that happened along the way. And yes, it's all 100% true, but I, I'm sharing it to be honest, not to deter people from traveling because, you know, things do happen and you're going to miss the, the ferry. You're going to, you know, have a kid that melts down. But looking back on it, I wouldn't change anything about where we went you know, taking my children, any of that. So I'm very blessed to have been able to do that. And I really hope that inspires people to get out and see the world. And, you know, of course. That's one of the beauties of your book, though, is that it's an honest account of family travel. You don't try to sugarcoat it and say, oh, you know, everything was perfect. We had this wonderful time. I mean, you give the raw emotion (laughs) of the meltdowns. And my heart was aching for the child and for you. And I can only imagine that you were feeling a little bit embarrassed, especially as people were looking at you saying, what is that child doing? And why is she not taking care of that child? But that's what children do, you know, that they're tired or they're hungry or, you know, the balloon got away or something didn't go right for them. They're stressed and that's how they deal with it. So. I really appreciated reading those things. And part of me chuckled and part of me was like, oh, I feel so sorry for her. Yeah, well, like you said, it happens at the grocery store. It happens at the playground. <laughs> it happens anywhere. And so if, if it's going to happen, enjoy it and, and be around things that you want to do. And you're going to get through it and, you know, just try to find the positive. But those are memories. And I guess that's another question I want to ask you. Does Brooklyn, now that you've put that story in the book, how does she feel about that? Or does she know it's in there? Oh, she's, she's fine with it. She, she, she and Ella both were on Zoom still for school and they are showing my book. They're so proud. Like it's, it's amazing being an author and having children show your book to their friends and be proud of their mom. And and I'm really, this was not an intended consequence, but I'm really proud that they can see that their mom is following her dream and, you know, that I've done this. So she's not embarrassed, but she's also only nine. (laughs) So maybe by the time she's a teenager, things will change. But right now she's just very proud. Oh, that is so lovely. It just absolutely warms my heart to hear that. Are there any words of wisdom that you want to leave our listeners I think that, you know, just as I said earlier, just keep an open mind, be open to possibilities and, you know, be willing to try new things. There's so much out there in the world and it's important for us to try things that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but there's so much benefit to seeing the world. There's so much benefit to traveling and especially with children, introducing that to them young and, and also, I just want to emphasize, we haven't touched on this, but it's not as expensive as people think. There are ways to travel on a dis- at a discount. There are things that you can find. You can go camping if you can't afford a hotel. You can drive if the flights te- seem too expensive. And there's so many different things that you can do to find cheap flights. You know, kids under two fly free. You can use airline credit card miles. Kids can go on a cruise for free. There's just so many things that you can do. So don't, you know, don't feel like you have to have tons of money to travel and to do these things. There's, there's so many options out there. Be open to possibilities. 
where can they find you and where can they find your book? So my website is www.caitlinjane.com. My book is available wherever books are sold. You can get it through my website or through Amazon or Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. I also am on Instagram, posting some of the photos from our trips and, and Facebook, Passports and Pacifiers. But I would absolutely appreciate any new followers or listeners. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. If you did, I would like for you to do two things for me. One, hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any episodes of the podcast and ask your family members and friends to do the same. The second thing is to visit the website adventureswithgrammy.com and look on the menu bar and click on the link newsletter sign up. That will give you access to my monthly newsletter. Also, ask your family members and friends if they will sign up too. Please feel free to contact me, carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com, with any comments or suggestions.